for tuning in to the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. See, I didn't think so. I, I think that if, if I make this, ooh, maybe in the house, because, um, you know, once I get excited, it's going to be, I'm trying to stay back today. I've been kind of antsy. Um, I think that if I say that, like, waiting is the absolute worst, I think that most of us would agree with that, right? Like, (laughs) it wasn't just agreement. It was spiritual agreement. Amen. Preach. Preach that. All right. Waiting is the worst. Um, I don't think any of us, like, wake up in the morning and we think, man, I hope I get to wait today. I hope there's a line that I get to stay in. Like, I just, I ain't got anything to do for the next 45 minutes. Let me just hang out right here. Like, none of us do that. We're we're most of the time, like, looking for the fastest ways to get around. Like, when traffic starts to slow down, you probably do what I do, and you try to pay attention to what lane is moving. And even if you cause another accident, you want to get in that lane. Like, you need to get over there. When we go to uh, the, the grocery store, some of us... I'll just say us. Some of us sneak through the express line with 20 things in our basket rather than the 12 that it clearly says over it. Why? Because we don't want to wait in any of the other lines. And what makes it worse is like even the self-checkout lines are long now. So you used to be able to just zip through there and now you got to wait there. Like don't, don't think you're getting through the line quick at Target. Like Target has 27 aisles that you can go through, checkout stands, and only one of them is working. And then they have the, the self-checkout in the opposite end. Doesn't matter what end you think it should be in it's always in the opposite side of the store huh don't don't come for target my bad i do enjoy shopping at target um but they need more aisles open they need more people available to check me out so it could be quicker but like we do that like we we tend to uh try to go through the quickest possible and i think if we wrote a list of the worst places to wait i I think we would write down like the dmv Uh, the doctor's office, and the emergency room. I think those would be at the top of the list, and some of you might write down, you know, restaurants or things like that. But here's the thing about the DMV. Like, it doesn't matter when you decide to go. Most of us are like, man, I think if I get there first, it opens at 8 a.m., I'm going to get there at 745 and, I'm, and there's already people there. Like they slept there overnight to be first in line. And you can never, it, it, it almost never feels like you very rarely ever walk in the doors of the DMV to the counter at the DMV. At the one in Lee Summit, they got a lady outside that doesn't even let you get to the outside door without stopping and waiting with her for a few minutes. And then maybe you get to go inside and wait around the corner. Like it, it, the DMV just boggles my mind. And then like, you got the doctors, and so you go to the doctor's office, and it seems like the doctors always have a you-will-wait policy. Like, it's just written in somewhere in the fine print. Like, when you say you're going to be my primary care physician, they're like, great, you will wait every time you come to see me. And here's where they get you. You may not wait in the lobby, but you're going to wait in that room like... I'll just encourage you to check out what they got in the room. Anytime that you're there waiting, like you're paying for stuff, you might as well see what's in those cabinets and in those drawers. Because here's the truth. Nathan and I were talking about this. If they didn't want you to know, they would lock the drawers or the cabinet doors. So just get some things done while you're waiting. Like just check out what they have. But here's what's crazy about the doctor's office. Like you always have to wait, but don't show up late. 
you will miss your appointment and they'll charge you for your appointment. Like, and there's very little grace in that. Or, the emergency room, I feel like, is sometimes the most frustrating place that you can wait. Because you only go there because it's an emergency, right? And then when you get there, it seems like some of the time, my emergency is only an emergency to me. Nobody else in the place seems bothered that I'm walking through with an emergency. Doesn't matter what that emergency is. Maybe if you're bleeding from the head or something like that, like they might put you close to the top. But most of the time they're like, oh, hey, fill this out. Take a seat. Well, someone will get with you in about an hour and a half or so. Like, and, and we just sit there and, and wait and wait. And, and, and waiting is the worst. It is so frustrating. And while we're waiting, most of us think of reasons why we shouldn't continue to wait. Like we have six or seven reasons why we should be the first in line, move us up. And so every now and then, some of you are like this, you'll go back up to the counter. Uh, do you know how long we've been here? Uh, I've been here 27 minutes. You said someone would see me in 15. I've been seeing people go by all the time. I don't know what's going on, but we do have an emergency over here. Uh, let me to the front. I know doctors here too. Don't, don't think I don't. Like we, we come up with all these different reasons why we should get pushed to the front of the line and not have to wait because we really don't like waiting. It's, it's the worst, even when it comes to waiting on God. Now, the room got a little bit more quiet in that moment because we don't enjoy saying that out loud. We don't really like to say it out loud, but we can be honest. See, sometimes when we pray and we bring our need to God and, and, we, and we lay it at his feet, and there's moments at the end of the prayer where we're with all of who we are, we're praying, you know what, God, I trust you, your will be done. And we walk away and we mean it. We mean it with every part of who we are. Your will be done. Until we begin to think that God's window of opportunity for his will to be done is beginning to close. And then we begin to get a little frantic like, well, God, what, what, what's going on? Like, I, I put it in your hands and I expect you to do something with it. Now would be a great time. Like, if, if you wait till tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be too late. Like we begin to reason through, and then it begins to make us wonder, like, what's God up to? Like, what's he doing while I'm waiting? Like, am I, is he going to move at all? Like, I prayed. I was very sincere. I was very heartfelt in, in committing all of these things to God. And, like, will he move for me? And then we begin to think, like, well, maybe someone more spiritual than me had another prayer request that he's busy taking care of. Because somewhere in our minds, and, and even it resides in our hearts at times, where we're thinking like God has a hierarchy of how he handles people's things. And we almost never feel like we're at the top of that list. He's busy taking care of something else for someone else. And, and then sometimes the waiting makes us wonder, like, can God actually do what I prayed for? Can he move at all? Like, is this, is this something that, that he's going to do? And, and when God is silent, man, it, it messes with us. We wonder a lot of things. And most of the things we wonder aren't good because it makes us feel like he's not moving at all, let alone fast enough to get things done for us. And so this morning, I, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about waiting for a miracle. 
is we're getting ready to start, or we're not getting ready, we are starting a series today called Miracles. I want you to know if you came in here wondering if there was a limitation to what God can do, I'm here to tell you that there is not a limitation to what God can do. He knows no boundaries. His power knows no limits. His strength doesn't end. His power never fails. There is nothing that God can't do. And we can champion that. We think about that. We sing about that. And it is very true. He can. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to look at miracles that Jesus performed so that we can remind ourselves, so that we can remind our faith that God is exactly who he says he is. We can trust him. He can do the impossible. But sometimes waiting is part of the miracle. So turn with me to John chapter 11, because when you're waiting, we, we got to come up with some kind of strategy, because if we don't think about what we're going to do in the waiting while we're waiting, our minds can take us places that make us struggle, make the waiting even harder. So John chapter 11, if you have time over the next few weeks, man, read the book of John. It is a great picture of who Jesus is. John gives the, the great I am statements that Jesus made, and he only shares seven miracles that Jesus uh, performed, not because that's all that Jesus did, but he wanted to show us who Jesus was and what he could do with each one of these miracles. It's, it's um, the goal for John and for us is that he wanted to write it in such a way that it would open our eyes and our hearts to who he is and what he can do. And just when you think you've got it figured out, he's like, oh, nope, here's one more. Here's one more. Here's one more. And so let me take you to John chapter 11 to a story that some of us may have heard before. It says a man named Lazarus was sick and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. In some of your translations, it says the one you love is sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he loves all of them, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, when I read this, verse 5 and 6 kind of is tough for me because when you, when you read this verse in other translations, like, he loved them so much that he stayed. Like, if we're writing this, this is the part where Jesus drops everything and goes, right? Because we were introduced to Jesus' people. These aren't just people that, are pass that he's passing by along the road. These are his people. His family doesn't really believe in him, but this is his people. These are his people. And we see that he loves them, not just Lazarus. He has love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they need him. And they write him a note, Lazarus is sick. And we, they don't say what we, what we expect Jesus to do. They don't say any of that. They just say, hey, um, I got to get a note to you. And notice how it's worded to get Jesus's attention. Notice that the sisters don't say, Hey, Jesus, you know, we really love you a lot. Uh, Lazarus, you know Lazarus, like that's your guy. Like he's sick, but man, we, we care so much for him. Like, can you come and help him out? They don't, they don't say any of that. The, the sisters 
actually don't even say how much they love Jesus. Like they don't say, you know, Jesus, remember us. We love you the most out of everyone in Bethany. Like we're the top of the list and people who love you. Like we started our own fan club. Like we give to you regularly. Like we do all. They didn't do any of that. Like what they did to get Jesus's attention was they reminded Jesus how much Jesus loved Lazarus. You see, sometimes we get confused on how to get God's attention. We begin with these wordy explanations about who we are. We break out our resume and talk about the reasons we deserve God to move in our lives and remind him um, how much we've done for him. We, we go through our, our Sunday school attendance list. We go through the different times we've given. We recite all of those things, but we don't have to give him reasons why we deserve him to move for us, we just need to remind him of his love for us. Because God's response isn't dependent on my resume. The truth of the matter is that God loves me, that I can substitute my name and you can substitute your name for Lazarus in there. You are the one that God loves. His love for you is what moves him to respond for you. Not because you earned it by all of the great things that you're doing, by showing up here today, this doesn't make God love you more because you showed up to church this morning. It doesn't make him love you more if you chose to sit in the front row. It doesn't make him love you more. Whatever you might think, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the perfect son, the perfect daughter, the perfect husband, perfect wife. You have to get it all right all the time. And whenever someone asks you how you're doing, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. That doesn't have to be your response all the time for God to move on your behalf. You can't earn his love. It's yours. It's yours because he created you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. It's all about his love for us. And this is the, the struggle because like, yeah, yeah, you do love me, right? And it says he loved him so much that he delayed leaving for two days. So it's important for us to know that God's delay isn't his denial. See, this is a hard thing for us to get when it comes to us and God. But we teach our kids this at an early age. Don't cross the street without me. If you, if you run ahead, like some of us will be walking to the park or we'll walk down the street. And when we tell them like, hey, you can run out ahead of me. But when you get to the corner, what are you supposed to do? You wait until I get there because when we cross the street, we're going to cross the street together, right? So we teach them to wait for us. There are times where they could go across the street, but our love for them wants to make sure they make it across the street. So we teach them to wait for us until they know how to cross the street on their own. I think the hardest thing to teach kids, though, and God would probably echo this sentiment, is the, the thought about time, like those of you with little kids, if you ever make the mistake of telling your kids that you're going to do something fun or great um, tomorrow or next week or a month from now, like be ready for it. Is it time now? Is that today? No, 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 no. We, we talked about this. It's three days from now. We're going to go out of town. We're going to have lots of fun. Okay, but today, is it today? And then they wait a day. Like they wake up the next day and they're like, do we get to go today? Like they don't understand time. Like, so the delay isn't God's denial. Just like when we tell our kids, no, 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 it's not today, it's next week. No, no, no you need to wait for me. Like we, we get it here. It's frustrating though, because we feel like waiting is such a waste. Like God just gets stuff done now. But waiting is actually a part of our walk. And I wanna encourage you this morning, like don't just want the work 
of the Lord without wanting to wait on the Lord. See, because we, we quote verses. Oh, I do want to wait on the Lord. I want, ooh, come on, renew my strength. I want to fly like an eagle. I want to run and not get tired. I, I need to walk and not faint. I need all of that. Now, can we do that now? I waited a whole three seconds. Give me the benefits of waiting on the Lord. Now, I want the work of the Lord. But sometimes where I struggle and where I don't want to hang out is I don't want to wait on the Lord. See, just normal things like that, like, all right, God, I'm just going to sit in your presence. I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to, man, it's, it's tough to do in a normal situation, let alone when we feel like, God, I need you to move now. I need something now. It's, it's a miracle because something out of the ordinary needs to happen, and I need it now. Like, I need you to, to move now. And it, it's frustrating because if he does love me, if I'm the one that he loves, like, shouldn't he move? Doesn't he see that I'm hurting while I'm waiting? Why isn't he responding? And, and I think that we need to remind ourselves that, that love and suffering and waiting and pain, they're, they're not incompatible. The most famous verse in Scripture has both of them together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. What did he give him for? To pay the price for our sin. How did he pay the price for our sin? He suffered and died. God's love for us made him move and respond to give his son to suffer and pay the consequences for our sin. So it's not incompatible. Love isn't always pampering and protection. Sometimes it is working to perfect our faith in the waiting. I'll take the first part. That second part is tough. And in those moments where that may be happening, I want, I want to remind you of things that we know, like our ways are not God's ways. And our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And our timing is definitely not God's timing. So maybe today you, you feel like you're stuck in a delay like God isn't doing something for you. you. You've prayed. I want you to remind yourself that the one who created time is never late for his own appointments. Remind yourself that God's power in his promise isn't determined even by my response to it. The messenger comes. Lazarus is sick. Jesus responds with, Sickness will not end in death. Now, his response to that, I don't know if he gave that to the messenger to take back to Mary and Martha or if he just says it. Um, but imagine he gave it to the messenger and the messenger goes back. By the time the messenger got back, Lazarus was already dead. Work through the timeline and you'll discover that the day the messenger showed up is the same day that Lazarus died. So I wonder if, if, if I was the messenger, if you were the messenger, would you walk in? And be like, hey, Jesus said this sickness isn't going to turn into death. Be outside. Like, so we don't even know if Mary and Martha heard what Jesus said. Even if they never received the message, it doesn't change the power in the message. And so you may be thinking, man, God hasn't moved. Things are getting worse. I prayed, and it just feels like, ah, oh, this is just going nowhere. Maybe, just maybe you weren't within earshot when God said he was about to move. 
Maybe, just maybe, you didn't hear God say that what you're going through isn't going to be the end of your story. Maybe you didn't receive it because you weren't in the room when he said it, but that doesn't change the power of his words when he said that he's going to move. Jesus is still in the life-bringing business. When things look hopeless and lifeless, he can still bring them to life whether we heard him say it or not. So your dreams... Your hopes, the promises you've heard, the, the relationships that are struggling, your marriage that feels like it's on shaky ground, your relationship with your kids, all of that. If you are waiting for God, remind yourself his delay is not his denial. So two days after the messenger shows up, Jesus says, let's go back. It's time to show up. And he has an interesting conversation with the disciples, which lets us all know, like, Hey, we're not as smart as we think we are. And that's okay because Jesus still loves us anyways. Read there, there, there back and forth. But in verse 17, Jesus starts making his way. It says, he arrived at Bethany. And when he told Lazarus, when he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem and, all, and many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? So he has this conversation with Martha, and, and as word gets back that Jesus is there, I want you to notice the response of the sisters. Mary stays in the house. And there's one of t- probably two reasons. Maybe there's more. In my mind, there's a couple of reasons. One, they had guests. Mary didn't want to leave the guests. It would have been rude for her to get up. But what I see in this is I, I, I see sisters grieving differently. I think Mary just couldn't. That in that moment, she just, I just can't. Can't breathe, can't move, can't feel. Jesus is, is on his, man, that, that's, that's great. I'm just going to hang out right here because I don't know what to do. Now, Martha, Martha's grief looks a little different. She beelines to Jesus. She's got some things that she needs to get off her chest. She needs to say some things to him, and and she is frustrated. If only you had been here. That's how I I read that statement. Jesus, you're here. If only you had been here sooner, my brother would not have died. She lets it all out. And what Martha does in this one particular verse, and even what we see Mary do later, is what we need to do while we're waiting We need to remember that delay isn't denial, but we also need to pray painful prayers. Martha here was just being honest. She was just saying that that Jesus, I'm, I'm hurt and I'm frustrated. And right now it doesn't make sense that you're here now, but you didn't come before today. And notice Jesus's response. He he didn't look at her like I'm looking at you right now, like, uh. Chill out. He, he didn't tell Martha she needed to adjust her tone. 
you need to talk to me with a little bit more respect than you're talking right now. Because if I am who you say that I am, you need to address me a little bit different. You need to calm down. You need to gather your thoughts and then bring it to me a little bit. He didn't flex on her and demand respect. No, what did he do? He just let her say what she had to say. He listened. See, because the God that gave us our emotions can handle our emotions. He's not afraid of them. He's not worried about them. Jesus didn't turn away. He knew Martha was mad. He could she ain't coming to hug you, man. You can go the other way. He didn't go the other way. He just continued to take steps towards her to prove that he can handle it. See, some of us, we, we wonder if we can actually pray honest prayers. God, can I say what I'm thinking, what my heart is feeling? Because some of us are fearful that it will be irreverent to God. But I want to I maybe tell you that could it not be that, but maybe it's the most intimate thing that you could do is to pray honest prayers. You see, in my most intimate relationship with my wife, she sees me all the time on my best days when I feel like I'm doing a great job at all of the things and she experiences me at my worst and her love for me doesn't waver in the highs and the lows, I'm safe with her. I can be vulnerable with her because this is our relationship. And I want to tell you that God is the same way. It, it, the, the, the best parts of our relationship are built on the celebration days, the, the great moments, but some of the most heartbreaking days have become a part of who we are because of the honesty that was there. So it's not just the easy, it's not just the pretty that are a part of our, our relationships. It's gotta be the honesty because if you can't have an intimate relationship with God, you can't have an intimate relationship with God if you don't, if you're not honest with him. Dang, I can mess that up like four times. You can't have an intimate relationship with God when you refuse to be honest with him. Martha begins to share. If you'd only been here. And, and then she does something that I scratched my head at for a little while at first. Like, but I know even now, gotta do whatever you ask. And, and it feels like she's saying it because maybe she's supposed to say it. Like, all right, like you're, you're still God and, and, and I'm, I, I kind of believe like, but if you would have been here, things have been different, but I believe that, that you are still good, that, that you have done great things. It, it feels almost like her words are fighting with each other, like her head and her heart really aren't connecting at that moment. And I, I wanna tell you when, when you're struggling, it, it's okay. It's okay if your head and heart aren't quite matched up, it's okay to struggle. We can still know who God is and be hurting at the same time. We can know who he is and still have questions for him about what's going on. We can still struggle, but let's still bring him our emotions. Let's still bring him our pain. Let's still trust him with those questions. And then Jesus tells her, man, Lazarus is going to rise. And Martha responds, later, cool, got it, end, perfect. I believe that you could do that. That's awesome. But Jesus wasn't just saying that there was power later on. 
He wasn't just saying like, yeah, you know, there is power in the resurrection. I, I do have power for the resurrection, but it's not for something later on down the road. What Martha had no idea was that Jesus was going to do something today that was going to change everything. It was going to change how she believed in Jesus. It was going to change her family. It was going to change how she navigated the rest of her life. He was telling her, look, there's not just power down the road. There's power standing in front of you today. I am the resurrection and the life. I breathe life into dust. I breathe life into dry bones. I can bring life into lifeless and hopeless situations even right now. I don't have to wait till later. And he smoothly kind of reels her in. Hey, you can believe again. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to experience pain of of disappointment and still believe that God can come through because you feel like he didn't. He should have. But Jesus just encouraged If you will keep believing. And I would encourage you this morning. If you feel like you're waiting for a miracle, man, just keep believing. I don't know when God is going to move, but I know it to be true. He is still the resurrection and the life. He still can move. He can still do things that we don't understand. I mean, I'm standing here. I'm about, let's see, today is the ninth. This week will mark 13 years since my father has passed away. And some days it feels like yesterday and other days it feels like years ago. And in the days afterwards and in the months and the weeks and years after, man, I still wonder like, God, how do you bring good from this? How do you work in this lifeless situation, this this part of me that I feel like has died on the inside? How do you breathe life into me now? How can you move and work and what good can come from this? And then I began to notice how my heart was changing. That as other people were going through hard times, when they were going through things that they thought would never happen to them, unexpected and unexplainable things, I didn't have answers for them. I just got to sit in the room and say, man, I get it. And I don't have anything else to encourage you with other than the fact that I'm still sitting here next to you. I know it hurts. I'm going to encourage you to bring it to Jesus. You may not get the answers you want, but you will get Jesus. If you bring it to Jesus, you get Jesus. And that is better than the answers to all of your questions. And I began to notice how I handle people's pain and how I grieve with them now. And the way that I'm able to sit with them and pray with them and not offer just, hey, take this scripture and write it down and put it away and read it whenever you're. No, like that didn't work for me. And I just wanted to be present with people. I began to look around like, okay, God, maybe that's how you can bring life. That's, that's how you're bringing hope. And then I realized that there's always hope involved when Jesus is present. So then he gets done with Martha. He says, go get Mary. He said, go get Mary. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing. So you know They've been talking about this. They've had some conversations about Jesus because they said the same thing when they saw him. The difference is when I see this, I read it differently. Hold on, let me get back. When Jesus saw her weeping and the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. 
The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, the man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? So Mary runs to Jesus. She falls at his feet. Her words, as I read them, feel more emotional than accusational. I feel like as she is laying at Jesus' feet, she is devastated and broken and saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Feels different to me, and, and she's broken, but what she does is she says the things that are on her heart. We see again, she's, she's saying painful things. It's okay, you can do that. He can take it. He wants to be present and hold you in these moments because as we pray these painful prayers, we will open ourselves up to the reality that Jesus wants to be present in our pain. And as Jesus sees her pain, he is moved. He feels her pain. And it wasn't just her pain. It was his pain too. And I would imagine that maybe some of the people that were there, maybe even the disciples started looking around and said, you know, when, when Jesus was preaching on, on the mountain, he said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Is this what he meant? As Jesus shows up and is standing in the middle of their pain, he was comforting them. Now, this is the part that, that I struggle with because if I'm Jesus, like I know what I came to do. I don't got time for all this. Like, let's just go and get things done. But that, that's not how Jesus responded to their pain. I believe that he, he came and as he saw his people broken and hurting and angry and lost and in pain, it got him. He gets us. He, he sees and he feels. He doesn't just see it. Like, even with that plan in his back pocket, he says, where's the source of the pain? It's in the tomb. Let's go there. I'll go with you to the source of where it hurts the most. And then he weeps. I want you to take that in for a moment. The God that created the universe is weeping with Mary and Martha. Now, don't misunderstand this. He's not weeping for Lazarus. We ain't got time to weep for Lazarus. He's weeping with Mary and Martha. He knows what they're feeling. He knows. He feels it too. He's present with them in their pain. He's not moving away. He's moving closer. If you will let him towards the source of it, he will come right there. The nature of God is that he chooses to enter into our pain. He doesn't run from it. He moves into it. Now, he may not remove it immediately, but he will always plant himself present in the middle of it if we allow him. And in that moment, as Jesus is weeping with them, as he draws near to their pain, as he's at the tomb with them, Psalm 34, 18 begins to spring off a parchment where it says that God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who crushed, who are crushed in spirit. It's not just words on a scroll. It is the person of Jesus Christ. He is with them. And the way that he was with them is the way that he wants to be with us now. He wants to give us comfort. He wants us to trust. He wants us to believe that, that he can bring peace. It's ours. 
He wants you to know that he hasn't left you. He wants you to know this morning that you haven't ever, ever cried alone. That he has been with you. That some of you may be walking through the waiting and it feels like the valley of the shadow of death. But he is still present in the valley with you. And then the people around Jesus take note. Oh, look how much he loves. Man, look at, look at his heart. His heart is breaking. And then they begin to say, well, but he did the impossible before. Why can't he do it now? Why, couldn't he have kept him alive? If he could make eyes for someone who never had eyes before, couldn't he have healed this sick guy? That's, that seems like nothing. And we have these kind of people in our lives. Sometimes we are those people in our lives. I want to tell you this morning, don't let your expectation be the limitation of what God can do. They only expected healing. That's all. And because healing didn't happen, something was limited in what Jesus could do. Can I tell you that maybe God wants to show us that his power knows no limits? That God just doesn't want us to trust him in one area, maybe as the healer or deliverer, but God wants us to believe that he is the resurrection and the life. And then as Jesus is weeping, I, I love this other part where it says that he is mad. He is frustrated. There's a lot of different thoughts on why Jesus got mad. Here's what I think. It doesn't make it more right or wrong. This is just what I think. As I've studied this, I think that as Jesus is weeping and all this is going on, he's like, enough is enough. He's so frustrated. He's angry. He sees what's going on with the people that he loves. He knows the pain that sickness has caused, that death has caused. And he was like, you know what? You picked the wrong, the wrong man to fight with today. He stands up to end the fight that sickness and death started. He says, roll the stone aside. Martha says, the dead, the, the dead man's sister protested, Lord, he's been in the dead for, or the, he's been dead for four days. He's going to stink. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for those who are standing here so they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And, and, and this is probably one of the only spots that you'll find John showing Jesus shouting at something with demonstration of power and authority and frustration at what was happening. He's like, no more Lazarus, come out. He's showing all of us that problems submit to the promise. See, no one present at the time, they, they didn't expect this miracle. They expected Jesus to show up and do something. And when he showed up, they, they saw how much he loved. And then they thought why he could have done things differently. And then, you know, they're like, wait, what, what do you want to do now? You want to remove the stone? They begin to tell him reasons why what he wanted to do in the moment was not the right thing to do. It's a bad idea. See, for them, this, this was a hopeless situation. Jewish tradition in Jesus' day would have said that after three days... Three days, the soul would hover over the body. Maybe life could come back and they could go back in. But on the fourth day, 
as the body would begin to change colors and decompose, the soul would say, well, there's no chance in leave. So it wasn't by accident that Jesus showed up on day four. There was no hope. There was no reason to open the stone, the, the, the tomb. There was no reason to roll it away. It was just a smelly corpse now. We get so preoccupied with the natural. We get so fixated on, on the things that we can see into, oh, he smells, don't move the stone. Ah, but, but we forgot what he said. We, we remember why he can't, but we didn't remember what he said. That's why he looked at Martha and said, didn't I tell you? You would see God's glory if you believe I want to remind you, you say, we may have forgotten that God is good, but he is still good all the time. In the moment of our waiting, we may have forgotten the things that he's done, but he is still a miracle working God. He can bring back to life things that are dead. It doesn't matter how long it's been since your dream has failed. Since it feels like it died. It, it doesn't matter how long you've been praying for your child that has walked away from God. It, it doesn't matter how long you've been sick or that the doctors have given you a prognosis that isn't promising. It doesn't matter if your marriage feels like it's on its last leg. It doesn't matter if people around you are telling you to weep and to give up. If they're telling you that there's no hope and no life, it doesn't matter if you feel like you've been trapped in a tomb. When Jesus says, come out, the problems submit to his promise. He is still who he said he was. He's still doing it now. He has this ability to look at our hopeless situation and see hope in our future and speak it into existence. And here's just how strong his words and his promises are. A lot of theologians believe that Jesus said, come out Lazarus, because if he would have just said, come out, the entire cemetery would have emptied. There is nothing that God can't do. He wants to do these miracles in our lives. He's still saying, come out. He's still calling you from, from places that feel like there is no hope into places of hope. Waiting is just a part of it. I don't know why we wait. I look at this story and I think, well, maybe God waited so that there's only one explanation for what happened. And waiting, even though sometimes it feels like punishment, it's not. That's why we have to remember that, that God's delay is not his denial, that we can pray painful and truthful prayers, that he's present, and that problems will submit to his promise. See, while pain feels real, while all of this feels real, it doesn't negate that God's power and timing is real as well. So if you're waiting this morning, if you're waiting for a miracle, could you allow yourself to maybe believe that God can still come through? And when he does, 
what he does for you is going to create a ripple effect for those that are around you. Jesus said, I'm praying this prayer not for me, but for the people that are around. There was a crowd that was there when he told Lazarus to come out. Later on, it says that people began to believe in Jesus because of what they saw that day, so much so that people wanted to kill Lazarus because of it. What if God uses your waiting to do far more with your life than you could ever have thought possible? That what was causing the biggest pain could become your biggest platform? that could show and display God's greatest power. Ah, oh, PK, I don't, I don't see how that works. Every week, I look over into this section right there, and I see my great friends, Hannah and Kenny. And when I think about waiting for a miracle, your guys' names were the first names that I wrote down because some of us have been here with you through your waiting and the heartbreak of hoping for family and never getting it and the hopeless feeling, the, the empty promises of God that what it felt like at times. That's how it was. But then I look at you again and I know that yesterday you celebrated the birthday of your incredibly gorgeous daughters that just turned two. And now your story is completely different. All the waiting and the pain is still there, but the promise coming through far outweighs what was behind you as you look at these girls, as you're able to sit across from people and say, look, you want, to, you, you want to know if God's real here? Come, come here. Look at, look at my little girls. Hold them in your arms. Play with them. Talk to them. Do that. These are miracles. You can't tell me God isn't real. You can't tell me he doesn't show up. Did he show up when I asked him to the first time? No. But he was not late for his appointment. And what God has done in their lives has encouraged other people has reminded other people going through the waiting and the frustration and the heartache that there is hope. And then I can't help but look back at the sound booth and see Todd and Nina back there and, and the conversations that I know that they had with Kenny and Hannah during all that. And as they were waiting, they could look over here and see hope in their waiting. And in September, we'll see Todd Hampton the third show up. You can't tell me that God isn't real, that he's not doing miracles over and over and over again. So if you're waiting for a miracle, God's delay is not his denial. Look for the places of hope. Remind yourself that God is still good. He's near you when it's painful. And his promise still makes the problems submit. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? Maybe today the greatest miracle you need is not something outside but it's in your heart. Maybe you feel trapped by sin. You feel trapped by the life that you thought would be one way, but it's another. 
today you, you're hearing Jesus say, come out. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to wear grave clothes anymore. You could be free. You can walk out of here with a new life and a new heart and a new direction. You can be free. If you would say, man, Pastor Kevin, that's me. I need, I need Jesus to give me life today. I need to give him my heart. I need to trust him this morning with my everything. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand and make eye contact with me. That's me, Pastor Kevin. I need Jesus this morning. I see that hand. Who else would say, man, that's me, PK. I need Jesus. I need the life that he gives. I need him to give me more of who he is. All right, would you stand with me all around the room? If you're normally a part of the, the crew of people that pray during the, the worship song, if you could go ahead and make your way down to the front. Um, today, and for the next three weeks, we're going to spend our response time, not just like, God, what are you doing? What, how can I move? What can I? We're going to pray for miracles. There are some of you that came in here, and maybe you haven't told anyone what's been going on in your world. Or maybe you've been praying for a while and you've been waiting. But today we're going to pray and believe that the God who raised Lazarus from the dead is still bringing life to dead situations. And whether that's your heart, your family, your job, whether you're praying for sickness to be healed, whatever it may be this morning, I'm going to ask you to come down to the front and let's pray together and let's pray that miracles can happen. If you need a miracle this morning, if God has been moving on you and saying, hey, come on, come on, let's pray about this. Let's go to him one more time. If it's bigger than you and you need a miracle from God, come to the front. I have great people here that are ready to pray, not just for you, but to believe that God has a miracle in store. So as the worship team sings, if you need a miracle, let's pray for it. Let's believe for it. God can do the impossible. prayers that this message impacted you. Please share your story and partner with us financially at newvisiongrandview.com.